Hi, it's Elliot Fishman, and this is part two of our look at the coronary arteries as part of the cardiac review course for the ACR examination. And I left you with this question last time. Uh, what's the percent stenosis in this case? And I just sh will show you a few different points. And this point I made last time was the point that if you're using MIP imaging, you want to know exactly where the calcification is and the danger of overcalling. Uh, you can see, for example, in this LAD, there's an eccentric calcification, which really causes no critical stenosis or no stenosis of note. But you can see on the bottom right, if I rotate the images just perfectly, you get the feel that that plaque is occluding the vessel, or at least seemingly occludes the vessel. So again, the issue with MIP reconstruction is that uh, you can simulate pathology. And just to show you in volume rendering, when done correctly, there's the calcified plaque, with, which is eccentric in the LAD, causing no evidence of vessel narrowing. And there have been an article on this, a uh, good article by Rebecca, making the point that uh, you want to be very careful that with MIP you get pretty pictures, but you can have specific errors. And particularly thick MIP, visually appealing, can uh, cause all sorts of issues. And so one good rule, of course, is you can use MIP, but you don't want to use it only. In the uh, SEC guidelines, uh, they do make the point about MIP, talking about 5 millimeters as a good thickness. Remember, vessels are typically 4 to 5 millimeters. And mention that it, it is valuable in looking at coronary arteries, but do make the point that there is the potential loss of lesion information within the slab volume, as the MIP does not provide in-depth information or attenuation detail. And so you should not use it as the sole technique. And again, that's a very good recommendation. So here's some summary of that. You can see long segments of vessels, so it can look very pretty, particularly absence of calcification. It tends to reduce perceived noise. It's showing the brightest structures, not all the low-density noise. Loss of information within the slab is particularly critical for low-density structures, so you will miss non-calcified plaque. And again, um, high values are displayed with MIP, but things aren't very accurate in that regard. Now, curve planar reconstruction is something uh, everybody does like, and I think what it really is, is it's really a, uh, the best of multiplanar. If you think about a very curved vessel like this, we know axial imaging, you could kind of build a, a vessel in your mind looking at hundreds of slices, but that's not ideal. Surely it's not ideal for transferring information. And coronals and sagittals just don't cut it because the word is cut it. When you cut the images, you really are never getting the vessel in plane. So again, you're still having all the issues with partial averaging. And of course, curved planar, when you can touch the beginning and end of the vessel and have the computer really just put that vessel together as a string of spaghetti, as shown in this example, is really where you want to be. Of course, the, you need to have a good center line. The computers are getting better at that. But just some very nice examples, looking at the LAD with non-calcified plaque in the proximal third. The thing about this is I'm able to rotate the images around that center line. And in fact, when you look at workstations, when they do calculations of stenosis, it's typically using the curved planar line. We pick a point proximal and distal to the area of greatest concern, and then it makes the calculations. And we'll come back a little bit about how good this uh, assisted imaging, in fact, is. Now. Another question as we speak about plaque, can you quantify non-calcified plaque? We talk about Agassin scoring and the Agassin system, zero being the best and then progressive higher numbers, but there is no Agassin equivalent for non-calcified plaque. 
A lot of work being done. I mentioned that last time, but there is no equivalent. And here's an article by Schaff making that point. There's no validated approach to quantify non-calcified plaque that is currently available. And a couple of good examples of non-calcified plaque, coronary CTA, vessel tracking. We'll go after the patient's uh, right coronary here, and you can see very nicely uh, proximal third right coronary artery, and I'll zoom up a bit. Look at that non-calcified plaque present. There is no calcified plaque, yet there's luminal narrowing approaching 50%. We'll rotate it some more, and you really can see that non-calcified plaque, and you can see that approximately 50% stenosis. And again, here it is just, again, look proximal, look distal, then look at the area of greatest narrowings. Just very nice visualization. Or this next case, and I show this case to make the point that calcification, even in curved planar, can be a problem, but I think it's less of a problem as you rotate the images around 360 degrees. Now, I mentioned uh, computer-assisted imaging. Every workstation vendor provides this. Uh, in this example, you pick the area that you think has the stenosis, then you get vessels proximal and distal to it to get sort of baseline lumen, and the computer then calc calculates what the stenosis would be. Um, our experience, and I'll show you a reference in a few moments, is that it tends to overestimate the extent of disease, particularly in the face of calcification. So it's something that is probably not quite there yet, that everybody tends to rely on their own visuals rather than simply relying on a computer. Now, in terms of stenosis, uh, this is a good example of LAD occlusion, and I'll show it to you from axial to volume rendering to MIP. It's important to recognize that uh, we can recognize stenosis. And this is a great example showing you that even in the face of calcification, but you notice the lumen should be opacified between the areas of calcification. And as you can see here, there's significant stenosis at this point, and then at a second point, there's really occlusion. There's literally no flow in the vessel, and you could document that by another cross-sectional view. And another example, uh, again, issues with curved planar reconstruction, and I think it's the same issue is going to be with computer-assisted. In the presence of calcification, there are indeed problems. So here's that question I asked. Can you use computer-assisted imaging to determine the accuracy and absolute degree of stenosis? Recent article by Dickers made the point um, that you can use uh, these techniques, but reality is, is manual stenosis measurements are more accurate compared with automated measurements, and therefore manual measurements and manual adjustments are still necessary for non-invasive assessment of coronary artery stenosis. So a very, very good point there. And another article by Nicole makes the point that intra-observer intra and inter-observer variability uh, is good, and so CTA uh, uh, does not suffer from that significant variability. When there is variability between observers, it's typically in the presence of extensive calcification uh, where there's a tendency to overcall disease, so it makes it much harder. And in that article by Nicole, segmental agreement for stenosis, 50% or 70% or greater was better than 96%. And again, sort of that disagreement point with dense calcification. Now, in terms of reporting calcification, how should you do it? Good article talking about structured reporting by Kazaruni in AJR last year. Um, and again, making many points, which I won't have the time to go through, but I'll pull one thing out from that article. And they talked about how the grade stenosis, uh, mentioning that you could do things normal, minimal, mild, moderate, severe occlusion, 
and there's the compatible uh, di diameter reductions. And there are a number of ways of doing it. People often, some people do under 50%, some do, and then they do 50 to 70, over 70, but less than 90, over 90, and then 100. The key thing is for the clinician to know what your system is. What's mild to you may be moderate to somebody else. So those terms mild and moderate in and of themselves, I think are always problematic. Uh, in the SCCT guidelines, they have very similar uh, interpretation and they talk about qualitative stenosis grading from minimal to occluded. But again, that's qualitative, but what about quantitative? And here's their typical thing, under 25, under 50, 50 to 69, 70 to 99, and occluded. So six grades with zero being one of the grades being normal or zero. So again, very nice visualization, very nice explanation. And I think that's a very good one to use. So whether it's the SCCT or the ACR, the agreement is there. And there's this quantitative, another interpretation of looking at stenosis grading. You can use a lot of different things, but there's no sense arguing with the other one, which tends to be the one that most people do use. Now, I mentioned about non-calcified plaque. Um, so again, in terms of that grading, it's very important to recognize that in that grading system, we are taking uh, everything you know, within that uh, range. Now, in terms of plaque analysis, um, we mentioned before several different articles, and I just want to reinforce uh, the fact that plaque analysis, plaque volume, is still something that is not quite there yet, that it's something to consider, something to think about, but it's just not something uh, that I think you are routinely doing. And I'm just showing you some of the references that I mentioned before. Uh, this article, very nice, too much too soon, correlation of total plaque volume compared of CTA to IVIS, um, just doesn't work very well as plaques get smaller. Big plaques is easy, of course, but small plaques can be very difficult. Haraguchi made the point that uh, there are a number of different uh, factors necessary to be accurate than large plaque, uh, center of the plaque measurements, Intracarnar enhancement of 250, that's easy. Low heart rate typically is easy. But again, making the point that it's hard. But there is software. Here's an example of what we've been using, looking at, again, recognizing what is the wall, what is plaque, trying to color code it. There are many different ways of doing it. The problem is reproducibility, accuracy, and then asking the question, what does this all mean? But it's something something to think about, and something to know that will be coming as scanners get better and our technology does indeed get better. Um, what other factors? I mentioned before about volume rendering that in terms of measuring stenosis, it's not the way to go, though I think you can do a pretty good job suggesting stenosis, but I'll agree with the consensus that it's not the way to go. But in this article by RAF, does make the point that this technique is very useful in the analysis of thoracic cardiovascular anatomy and congenital heart disease and for teaching purposes. And I'll just show you that as it refers to the coronary arteries. And typically the application is where you're looking for anomalous vessels. Here's a good example as we look at the images, look at the patient's uh, uh, right coronary there. We see it and then we'll come down a bit from above with volume rendering and you can see off the right coronary, then tracking posteriorly between the ascending aorta and the atrium is the patient's circumflex coronary artery. It's a very nice visualization of a non-malignant variation. 3D works very nicely in that regard. 
or in this case where the patient's uh, circumflex and LAD arise directly off the aorta, uh, no left main coronary artery, a variation nicely shown with volume rendering, or this very interesting case where you look at the patient's LAD, you can see it coming off, and it kind of then thins out, at least in that image. There's a large vessel coming anterior to the, to the um, patient's uh, uh, right side, uh, then coming toward left, and you can see the arrows. Well, what is that vessel? Well, it's a little tricky because it kind of looks like it's going over the left ventricle, which it is. It's feeding the left ventricle, but we already saw what looks like an LAD. And in fact, this patient has two vessels feeding the left heart. And you can see very nicely on the 3D at the arrow, that's an aberrant left anterior descending coronary artery branch coming off the right coronary artery. Very, very nice visualization there. But you can see in the 3D, it really shows the vessel, how it's coursing. And again, for anomalies, this works out very well. Now, in terms of coronary artery disease, I also was asked to look at several things like bypasses and stents. Question always is, how good are we at looking at stents? The literature is very positive, but I think it depends on what your stents are, and that's what the articles have showed. Here was an article by Wolf recently looking at four vendors, uh, showing that the scanners uh, did not really have a big impact specifically on accuracy, that there was slight variation, but in terms of accuracy, uh, looking at four data sets, five different software packages, um, measuring 15 different times, the authors found that sensitivity, specificity, and the like were all indeed very, very uh, close together. Now, another article by Ansel looking at coronary artery stent patency uh, with dual source CT again found great accuracy. Uh, again, um, made the point that high temporal resolution and the dual source was very helpful in that regard. Um, now, in terms of another article by Ansel a year earlier talking about potentially looking at the accuracy for instance stenosis and occlusion, and indeed in this article they had very good value. So uh, things look really, really good. But the key thing that the articles at times don't make clear is that your accuracy is very dependent on the actual stent. So for example, uh, this recent article, 2010, my first quote of a 2010 article that uh, made the point, not surprising, large diameter stents, typically four millimeters or better, very high accuracy, the three millimeters or less tended to be very problematic. And again, that's not a great surprise because we know that all of the time from, from the other work we've done uh, previously that uh, it's very, very uh, um, stent dependent. Now, uh, article by Min talking about stents, making the point that uh, uh, you need to look at ways of improving stent assessment, uh, applied statistical iterative reconstruction, which is this iterative reconstruction that's becoming very popular now, is one potential way of doing it. But again, um, we need to really get down to it. In this article by Min, they had 0.23 millimeter in-plane spatial resolution. Well, at that resolution, you will be able to do smaller stents. But as the article uh, shows by Wickerkowski, that when stents are under three millimeters with motion, with concomitant calcifications, your accuracy is still just way too low. And this article also made the point that different stents, stent sizes, thinner struts versus thicker struts, struts will all make the difference. So again, uh, you want to be very, very careful. 
If you have a three millimeter or less stent size, you might want to tell the referring doc your success may not be uh, what's necessary in that case. Over 3.5, surely over 4, you should do a great job. Now, in terms of interpretation, in these cases, curved planar reconstructions work very nicely. Uh, again, the schematic axials, you've got to build a model. Coronals and sagittals are not going to get you the plane you want, but that curved planar will take you right down as if you were a catheter. And so very nicely here, you can see the curved planar reconstruction and stent. Now, this also makes the point as I go through this set of images that when you look at stents, you need to use a different reconstruction algorithm. Every system has a high-res algorithm for looking at stents. Uh, it makes the images sharper, although a bit noisier. And as you get to smaller stents like this, it becomes very critical. So I'll show you an example. Here's a patient with several stents, non-contrast CT, in the right coronary artery, and you can see them very nicely on the volume rendered images. And you can see when you look carefully, volume rendered imaging shows you the location of the stent. There's three stents present. I then track the stents, and here it is on the MIP images. And then I use curved planar reconstruction, go into the stents. Now here it's a little bit hard to you see the stents, but you really don't have a great feel of the lumen. But if I take that standard reconstruction and go to high res, look how much better the image on your right is. Look how nicely we can see the patent stents. So again, uh, technique is critical. You need to go in and reconstruct. Know what reconstruction algorithm works best on your scanner. Again, making the point, the future, as Min says, can be bright with these new iterative reconstruction techniques. That holds great promise. Coronary artery bypass, let me speak about that just briefly again to finish this talk. 40,000 plus grafts are done each year. Issues are restenosis or occlusion. Uh, one issue, of course, with looking at bypass grafts is not just the bypass grafts that need to be analyzed. You need to look at the native vessels. Progression of disease in non-bypass vessels can also be the cause of patient symptoms. Uh, articles have shown, like this one by Fuchner, 64 MDCT accuracy, exclusion of greater than 50% graft stenosis uh, is indeed high, though the biggest issues are at the anastomoses, and that indeed is indeed a very good point. Um, in this article, overall accuracy was very high, uh, sensitivity 85%, specificity 95%. Uh, another article by uh, Heyman makes the point, meta-analysis, um, again, very, very good accuracy, though in this case, again, a certain amount of stents were not accessible. Uh, in the article by Heyman, just one more number, 96.9% uh, accuracy for evaluation of coronary bypass grafts in accessible conduits. So again, uh, it's a very, very good tool, and here's one more set of numbers. So it's something we do use. Now, the technique I like Often you don't have all the history, you don't have all the details of surgery. Volume rendering shows you where the graft is. Here coming off the ascending aorta, going down to the LAD, and you can see it nicely here, that button uh, placement of that patient's uh, graft. And then we'll track it from that point using curved planar reconstruction, making sure we're very careful of looking at the proximal and distal anastomosis. Again, curved planar reconstruction, this scenario, indeed works very, very nicely to show the vessel patency. Or this example, um, 
really bad native LAD disease. There are bypass grafts present. You look at the ascending aorta on the right side, there is an occluded bypass graft. You can see that little nubbin. You see this left-sided graft coming across off the aorta. And I'll show you a number of images. We'll just follow it there in 3D. Here I'm just rotating, showing you where the vessel's going, also showing you the presence of a lima graft. And now what I'll do is I'll use that curved planar reconstruction to basically track that venous graft. And you can see very nicely that the patient has stenosis of that graft. There's non-calcified plaque present within the mid-graft that's causing a 50% stenosis. In fact, a little greater than 50% centrally. So very nice visualization as I roll through the images to show you the ability to look at bypass grafts. And you can see in this case the venous graft to the left as well as the uh, lima graft. But again, very nice visualization of plaque developing within this um, venous bypass. And again, shown on multiple different renderings. Now, another thing in terms of coronary arteries, and probably the last topic, is looking at post-operative patients. Uh, we often will look at post-op patients who are going to get redo procedures. We often look at post-operative cases, for example, Marfan's, to look for complications in terms of uh, reimplantation of the coronary arteries. And here's just a great case where the patient's right coronary was placed off the left side of the aorta in this very complicated cardiac reconstructive surgery with elephant trunk, valvular replacements. Look at that patient's right coronary. It's coming behind the aorta, uh, and I'll show it to you in a few different projections to really get a feel of where that vessel is traveling. So again, uh, very complicated coming from left to right posteriorly, but a very nice example. Or this case, reimplanted coronary artery in a patient with ascending aortic aneurysm repair and valve repair. You can see that button aneurysm just at the anastomosis. So very nicely seen, very nicely defined in this example. Uh, again, visualization uh, very critical. Another example, same findings, rue repair. Uh, you can see it on the axials a little bit, the dilatation, the takeoff of the right coronary artery. But here it is better seen on the 3D mapping. And again, let me rotate a few of those images around to give you a feel. And finally, let me show you one example of a patient with an anomalous right coronary artery arising from the left cusp, tracking between the ascending aorta and main pulmonary uh, uh, trunk, which is the malignant configuration. You can repair that by reimplantation, sometimes with stents. But now they're doing a tunneling procedure which widens the RCA origin. And here's an example of that right coronary. And here in volume rendering is that tunneling uh, procedure. You can see how it looks like a cave. So they've expanded the lumen so it doesn't get compressed with exercise. So again, you can see coronary arteries. We have a whole spectrum of what we can do. We can go from analyzing the origin of vessels. We can go uh, to analyzing stenosis. We can look at post-op patients. We can look at bypass patients. There are many things we can do. Again, the critical thing is technique, understanding how to do the study, both on acquisition and interpretation, understanding the challenges and limitations, understanding what you can do to optimize and what you can expect to get in terms of results, what the published literature shows, where things are going, and where things we hope will be in the future. And with that, thank you very much for your attention.